Thank you for listening to City Awakening Podcast. City Awakening is a gospel-centered church located in East Orlando that plants new churches, striving to be a multicultural, multi-generational church. For more information about City Awakening, follow us on social media or visit www.cityawakening.org. Well, good morning. My name is Lewis. I'm the lead pastor here at City Awakening. Welcome to those of you who are here on site and to those of you who are watching online. We welcome you also. Uh, At this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children to children's ministry. Uh, We love to have our children um, come together to be able to worship together as a family and then uh, dismiss them to go and receive some uh, age-specific content for their, their level of comprehension. And if you didn't get a chance to check your children in, please see our children's ministry leaders in the back and they would be more than happy to assist you with that. Well, today is the last day in our teaching series that we've been doing called Graceful Resistance. It's been all about living with convictions in a culture of compromise. We've been talking about some major cultural topics such as critical race theory, sexuality, gender identity, and religious liberties. We've been talking about these things not to be controversial. We've been talking about them because we want to show that the gospel can speak into and even bring healing to what are already controversial topics. Our desire as we have approached these topics has been to approach them in a way that the Apostle Peter teaches us with an attitude that he teaches us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He tells, uh, the Apostle Peter says that, it, um, honor Christ the Lord within our hearts, but be ready to give a defense, to give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in us. He says to do it though with gentleness and with respect. And so our desire in approaching these topics has been to approach these topics with gentleness and respect, to approach it with a gentle, with a, I'm sorry, a graceful resistance. And we're going to continue to have that kind of an attitude um, as we close this series out with a panel discussion that we're going to be doing. We've talked about how we're going to do a panel discussion throughout this series, and today is the day for us to do that. We're going to wrap it up on that. Zach is actually going to lead us in that panel discussion, and we're going to address various different questions regarding the topics that we have already preached on in this series that we maybe couldn't have covered that content at that time. So I'm going to ask for um, Emmanuel and Kristen to come and join us for the panel discussion, and then uh, we will go ahead and and start addressing some of the questions uh, that we have for today. So let's get started. Awesome. Well, sir, um, coming up, you guys know um, Pastor Lewis, obviously. Uh, many of you know Kristen Wood. She serves on staff with us as well. She is, her technical title is um, Missions and Group, uh, no, Missions and Discipleship Catalyst. I don't even know, I should know that. Um, but basically, she is instrumental in our women's ministry, leading our missions outreach efforts, both locally and globally. Uh, really is passionate about pouring into uh, women as well and seeing them be discipled. So grateful to have her perspective. And then Emmanuel Bellin, you guys know as well and have heard from him. He's one of our elders here at City Awakening. Uh, Emmanuel is like the most educated and credible among us, honestly. <laughs> uh, he serves as the vice president for the executive network at Scholar Leaders. Uh, So basically that means he works with a team of people around the world, uh, developing leaders in different uh, organizations and platforms, um, and he's lived and served in many places, and so he has a lot more experience than any of us. So we're basically just going to ask him a bunch of stuff. Um, (laughs) No, but it'll be good. So we're just going to kind of go through a series of questions. The questions will be on the screen, so you can kind of keep track as well, and we'll try and move quickly so that you don't get 
uh, lost in that mix. Um, but these are just going to touch on each of the topics, uh, just for clarity um, or just remembering. You know, the first week in the series, we kind of touched on uh, critical race theory and some of the racial injustice issues that we've been facing as a country. The next week, we talked on uh, sexual orientation, same-sex attraction. The next week, we talked on gender and gender identity. And then last week, we touched on some of the religious liberties and cancel culture issues that we are facing. So just going to go back through some questions uh, regarding to those. Emmanuel, we're actually going to start with you. Uh, so, um, like I said, you've been in a lot of different places. You work with, on a regular basis, people from all over the world. So what is your perspective on how race is viewed in the U.S. versus, you know, or compared to other parts of the world? Well, thanks, uh, Matt, uh, Zach. Mm -hmm. I, I knew you were going to pick on me for <laughs> some reason. Yeah. I think uh, traveling around the world, race is something that is, people are very much aware of. Um, as you talk to different people in different countries, different tribes, different people groups, race is something that people are very much, and they talk about that. And they talk about that freely, they talk about the differences, they talk about the challenges, they talk about some of the, um, uh, the, the obstacles that race is to development and to, uh, and to unity and to you know, building of nations. Um, so the, the awareness is pretty, pretty high. And we don't, we don't see that much uh, conflict in those conversations. They are not as heated. They are not as sensitive, perhaps, as they are uh, here in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's almost more of a way of life versus that they're understood. It's a part of who they are and, and just their culture. And whereas we're maybe, you know, handling it as it's a, almost a new New concept. <laughs> Definitely. And Christians are very, you know, motivated to be involved right. in those conversations yeah. and to find ways of bridging the gap, yeah. uh, you know, with regards to race. That's good. So that kind of leads to the next question. So how do you think or how have you seen even the gospel lead the way in racial reconciliation? The gospel has been a powerful force in reconciliation. I've been involved in a number of reconciliations in countries and some other groups as well. Um, I remember uh, when uh, South Sudan became a, a country, and I was one of the people invited uh, to be part of that uh, discussions and the reconciliation. And, but then after a few years, the whole thing just, you know, fell apart. And different places where I have been and that people have attempted to actually uh, lead reconciliation without the gospel, uh, things have not really held up. It has not been sustainable. But when we think about places in the church, especially in Kenya or even in, in the Pasadena where I have been in, a, in a, a multicultural church and where there have been reconciliation, whether in Kenya in the church or in other places in the church, those have really held up because there's a common value that binds uh, these people. And as a result, uh, those reconciliations have been really powerful and they have been, um, uh, you know, sustained. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Lewis, kind of tagging on that, like, when you think about diversity and reconciliation as a part of City Awakening, what's kind of your vision as pastor? Where do you want to see us go as a church in regards to that? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would love for us to become as diverse 
as possible. I mean, um, this has been a, a, a desire on my heart and even our staff and elders and leadership's heart uh, since day one. Uh, you know, this for me is really about um, fulfilling the Great Commission. I mean, this, that's what it's always been about in, in starting City Awakening. You know, we want to fulfill the Great Commission that Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, to go make disciples of all nations. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to start a church in East Orlando was because of the diversity that exists in East Orlando. And I believe we literally have the opportunity to make the Great Commission a reality here. You know, several years ago before we started City Awakening, uh, I did a demographic research. I wanted to study the land that we were in. I did a demographic research of a five-mile radius surrounding the UCF area, and I learned during that time that uh, the, the population around that radius consists of 56% Anglos and 44% non-Anglos, and then within the, five, or within the UCF campus alone, the student body consists of over 50 different states and 120 different nations that are represented on the UCF campus. And so we literally have the opportunity to reach the nations right in our own front yard because the nations are here. And this is why one of our, uh, this is why our mission statement for the church at City Awakening is reach people and reach the world. What we mean by that is, is we believe if we can reach people with the gospel in East Orlando, we can literally reach the nations because the nations are here already. And this is going to take both time and intentionality on our part because people can be very comfortable in their own cultural ethnic bubbles that they, they hang out in. Uh, but we're committed to making this a reality. We're committed to that vision because it is a part of our genetic DNA as Christians to value cultural diversity but gospel unity since the gospels are our common ground. And so we, we do want to see more um, celebrations within our church, uh, diversity in our church, celebrating our different um, cultural ethnic backgrounds to help beautify the local church and let it be a reflection uh, to our city of the kingdom of heaven. And we want to see more diversity on our our teaching team. We want to see more diversity in the worship team. We want to see more diversity on our leadership and even um, diversity in who's greeting you at the door. Uh, we want to see diversity in, in every ministry area within the church. Uh, and I would also say that um, at the end of the day, I think the, the, the bigger win will be um, if we as a church and members of the church start living diverse lives, uh, being uh, diverse in who we invite uh, in our homes and who we invite within the church. And uh, I always want to be clear whenever we talk about this kind of diversity and even diversifying the leadership and stuff like that. Uh, this is not about tokenism. Uh, this is about fulfilling the Great Commission uh, to be able to make disciples of every nation. And we just believe we have a great opportunity to do that here because of the diversity here. And God willing, um, uh, it'll happen. God willing. No, that's good. So this is a, um, <clears throat> we didn't plan this question, so uh, I may be in trouble. But nonetheless, uh, <laughs> So, Emmanuel, I, just think, I think this is just important as I'm thinking about us talking about this. this. We talk about a lot of ideas, but what do you see as the biggest hindrance to that in our lives? I know we can't speak to it as a, on a country level, you know, or anything like that, but for us in this room, in our church, in our city, what do you see as the biggest hindrance to crossing some of those racial barriers, um, yeah, from your perspective? Well, I think uh, we would need to recognize that um, our desire to hang around people who are like us mm -hmm. is not really God's intention. And, and it's a result of the fall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and God created us all the same in his image. And as a result of the fall, we've been divided uh, because of our sin. And I think so if we begin to look at it from the perspective 
uh, like Lewis shared recently, you know, in, our, in the preaching, the series, uh, talking about God's intention for man, and that God created us in, in his image, mm -hmm. and he loves us. And everyone that God has created, God loved, and he said, this person is really good. Mm -hmm. That person is really, everything God created, he said, it was good. Mm -hmm. And so, I think looking at it as as fundamentally a creation of society and a creation of sin is an important perspective for us to have. And then allowing the Bible and the scriptures to guide our relationships and to help us connect uh, as believers, I think that's what God intended us to be. And if you look across cultures, you would see how God uh, has really demonstrated and cherished uh, diversity. Uh, Lewis was talking about it a few minutes ago. I mean, look at Pentecost. Mm. They had people from mm. all over the world mm -hmm. uh, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the believers. And that tells you something. I mean, you look at uh, the, the crucifixion process and the different people from different parts of the world participating in the crucifixion. You look at Jesus' own life and engagement and walk and interaction and you look at the different people that he interacted with. And so, as believers, we have a rare opportunity to demonstrate what diversity is truly all about. Yeah. And, and, and if we embrace the biblical standpoint, the biblical perspective of diversity, I think we can get over all the cultural hurdles and hopes and obstacles that we encounter from day to day. Yeah, that's good. No, that's good. I think that intentionality is, is something we talk about a lot here in living missionally, but we have to bring that intentionality into how we interact with people that are different than us as well, I think is an important aspect of that. So, Christian, that leads me to kind of our next topic, moving on to like the sexual orientation, same-sex attraction uh, issues, very relevant for all of us um, as we're, um, you know, beginning even more and more to experience those things in a, in a workplace or in our neighborhoods, our schools, those kind of things. And I know you have some experience with that even personally. So in your opinion, um, how can Christians, speaking of being intentional, help same-sex orientation or even a gender-fluid person feel welcomed in Christian community? Yeah, it's definitely a hard one for sure because it does require a level of um, getting out of your comfort zone and opening up your home. Um, you know, like Emmanuel was saying to people that are outside your bubble. Um, but I, I wanted to start off by reading this quote from one of my favorite books. Um, it's written by Rosaria Butterfield, and it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, she actually came out of um, the LGBT community and um, primarily through the investment of a pastor and his wife who opened up their home consistently um, and just invited her over for dinner, had conversation with her. Um, you know, obviously they shared their opinions as well, but it was just a, a natural place for her to be able to experience um, a Christian couple or a Christian in general. Um, but she says, um, in post-Christian communities, your words can be only as strong as your relationships. Your best weapon is an open door, a fresh pot of coffee, and a box of Kleenex for the tears that spill. I think we have to, as Christians, start off with relationships. I think Emmanuel was, was right in that, just getting around people that are different than us, um, willing to just have people over to dinner. And I think we have to ask ourselves um, a question, like, what fears do I have towards engaging with this community? Um, I think we all bring preconceived notions to the table with this type of community. Um, you could be afraid that you might say the wrong thing. You could, you know, maybe even be intimidated by just inviting that type of 
person into your home or, you know, and if you're really honest with yourself, maybe you just genuinely have a disdain for that lifestyle, whatever it is. I think we have to really ask our, ourselves, what is the reason why um, I'm not willing to engage with this community? Um, and then just looking to the way that Jesus engaged with the kind of untouchables of his time. Um, I think tax collectors were a big group of people that, um, and even like Mary Magdalene coming and washing his feet, um, that was pretty provocative, but his response was always a relaxed, like unfazed posture. Um, he was often seen reclining at the table, um, and it even says reclining with sinners. So I think opening our homes, like um, Rosaria Butterfield said, just having a pot of coffee, um, inviting people over for dinner, showing you know our family and our neighbors that our house is not closed off to people who are different, um, and ultimately like remembering that although Jesus dined with sinners, he didn't sin with sinners. Um, he definitely partnered mm-hmm. with his disciples to do this. So we need to invite our community into that. Um, It's not something that just you and your family should tackle alone. You should invite your missional community group, your um, just church family to endeavor that with you so that you can be sure that you're protected in the process too. Um, And then ultimately just remembering that, you know, God desires all people to know him. Um, There's no lifestyle, sin, um, anything that intimidates him to the point where he can't reach people. So we have to also remember that, um, even if we don't understand why people are living the way that they are. Yeah. No, I think it's good, and, and I think something you <clears throat> said there, I heard multiple people um, groan in agreement, but uh, Jesus uh, dined with sinners but didn't sin with sinners. And so it does beg the question then for us, like, okay, so we can engage, obviously, with people that are different than us, have different beliefs. We want to be welcoming to all people. Uh, we want to be able to have relationship regardless of those things. But is there a line somewhere for us? Because there's, for some of us, I mean, I think many people in the room may be like, well, but there's, that, there's, there's, that's uncomfortable in some ways. I know there's got to be a line somewhere with how far can I engage. And so this, this is a little more specific question, right? Um, and maybe one of the, the tougher ones that we have uh, on the panel today. Great. But, yeah. Hey, y'all ready? Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> This is wonderful. So, this is something that many people in the room or listening may have already been faced with. If not, they probably will be faced with in the near future, is my guess. Um, uh, so what about as Christians when we're invited to a same-sex wedding? How should we respond to that? Do we go? Do we participate? Is there a limit to that? Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a, um, I think it's a tough situation uh, for sure because it's, you know, if you truly love people... And, you know, many of us sitting in this room, we have, you know, friends and family members that we know of who have a same-sex orientation, and, uh, you know, we love them. And, you know, it's, we don't hate them, we love them. And so uh, I think it just can be a difficult thing to say no to an invitation like that because we don't want to hurt them since we do love them. Uh, and then also I think there can be that fear and that worry that we're going to burn a bridge of being able to share the gospel and share um, Jesus with them uh, because they they trust us already as Christians. And how do we know they trust us as Christians? Well, they're inviting us to their wedding. You know, you don't invite somebody you hate and you don't trust, right, to your wedding. You invite people you love and you trust to your wedding. And so, you know, the fact that they trust us makes it even more difficult because we're afraid we're gonna burn a bridge if we say no to accepting the invitation. 
so I think it's difficult to say no for those reasons, and I would say painfully difficult to say no for those reasons. Uh, but I also think it's difficult to say yes to the invitation because uh, I, I don't want to give the impression that I am um, supporting something that I don't believe in, which then is being dishonest to my friend or my family member, being dishonest in the relationship. Uh, I also don't want to give a false impression of uh, the Christian view of marriage and sexuality. You know, in Genesis uh, 1, we learn that God's design for marriage and human sexuality includes one man and one woman in a marital relationship. We also see that that's not just an Old Testament view. We see Jesus upholding that view in, I believe it's Mark chapter 10. And so, you know, we don't want to give a false impression by saying, yes, you know, uh, we'll, we'll go to this and then... You know, have people think that, okay, um, our God is a God who would approve a same-sex union when uh, the Bible teaches us um, that that's not the case. And so, um, you know, I'd have a hard time saying yes for that. Now, some people might say, okay, well, you know, if that's the case, then... um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, we need to look at what Jesus did, right? Because Jesus, um, like Kristen actually referred to, he shared meals and even interacted with people who were not living a lifestyle that was in accordance with, you know, biblical convictions. And so how is attending a same-sex, you know, ceremony, a same-sex wedding, any different than that? And I think there is a difference in that. I think the difference is that, it, you know, a wedding represents something so much more than just simply sharing a meal or even interacting with people. Uh, attending a wedding represents a, a, um, an endorsement and a celebration of the event that's taking place. And so by attending that ceremony, uh, you know, if you, if you attend a wedding, what, what do we see? There's witnesses right? You're a witness to the marital union that's taking place. There are people who will um, sign endorsements of the marital certificate, and there is a celebration that is taking place in the ceremony, and then even in the after party, right? There's celebration happening there. And so if you say yes to that invitation, then you are automatically basically saying, you know what, I um, endorse this marriage, I support this marriage, and I celebrate uh, this, this marriage that is taking place. Uh, and uh, I think ultimately for Christians, we need to ask ourselves, is that something that our God would do? Would our God endorse and celebrate that union? And the answer to that, you know, is no. And I mean, it's, how do we know that? Well, because according to Genesis 1, according to Jesus in Mark 10, and according to other scriptures um, that speak against same-sex sexuality, uh, we know that the answer would be, would be no to that. And so then, you know, I think some people in this situation might, might come back and say, okay, well then uh, maybe we shouldn't accept the invitation to a non-Christian uh, a heterosexual wedding. You know, what would, what would be a difference in that? You know, we should, well, be, that's different because a heterosexual um, marriage and, and wedding, it doesn't go against God's design uh, for marriage and human sexuality. And, and that marriage also has the potential of becoming a Christian marriage one day that can be in alignment with Jesus' teaching um, unlike a same-sex union which goes against Jesus' teaching. So I would basically have to, um, again, 
painfully say no to the invitation for, I think, those three reasons. It would be, uh, I don't want to lie to my friend, uh, giving them the impression that I approve of this um, when, when it's against my beliefs. I don't want to give them a false oppression of, of cr- the Christian view of marriage and sexuality, and I don't want to um, encourage or endorse and celebrate something that I believe my God um, would not. Now, um, last thing I'll say about this is that um, I would have to say no for those three reasons, but I would want to do it in such a, um, a tender way uh, that still expresses, uh, I still love them tremendously, even though we have different beliefs when it comes to this topic of marriage. Uh, I, want to, I would want to express this in such a way that um, I can communicate that even though we have differing beliefs, that doesn't change my love for you, and hopefully it doesn't change your love for me. Uh, you know, it, it would be wrong for me to hate them and to alienate them because of their differing beliefs. But let's be clear, it would be equally wrong for them to hate me and to alienate me for my differing beliefs. And so I would have to say um, no to the invitation, but yes to still loving them tremendously uh, without alienating them. It'd be hard. It would be hard, though. That's good. Appreciate you, you know, just uh, walking through that because I think many of these issues, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, with the uh, with the gender and pronouns, like they're not black and white always, right? There's we have to navigate them carefully, and, and then some things we're going to come up against where we feel and we can point to a more stronger biblical conviction on one way or the other. So Emmanuel, like, and I know a lot of parents are dealing with this on a regular basis as kids are coming home from school. You know, my friend said this, or they identify as this, or you know, we're now, you know having to, to face these issues and a lot of parents are kind of reeling and how to how do I navigate this as a parent so I know you have kids that are grown and almost grown uh, and so uh, you may not have dealt with as much of this when they were younger but nonetheless uh, difficult situations so what wisdom would you give or how would you um, advise parents tips for talking to their kids on these you know issues of gender and sexuality yeah, I think, I think it's a big challenge uh, for parents uh, to discuss this issue. Uh, but the good place to begin will be for us to lay a solid foundation for our children uh, in God's Word. Because oftentimes our children don't know the Scriptures as much as they should. And they haven't really uh, read it over and over enough and have espoused the values that the Scripture teaches. And so I think the first thing for parents is, how can I help my children grasp God's word and learn what God thinks and feels and, you know, God's idea about mankind and sexuality? I think if we begin from there, then we can give our children a solid foundation. Uh, Stuff like family devotions, maybe once in a week or twice in a week. Going through the Bible, just pick any Bible. Let the kids pick the Bible. <laughs> Let them pick the books they want to study. And just have a little chunk at a time, a little bit. Don't, I mean, don't do Lewis's preaching uh, on, on, uh, in a family devotion because they will not show up. Or don't set up a PowerPoint, you know. Uh, to, that's not it. But, you know, you can sit at a dinner table after dinner, uh, take 30 minutes, 45 minutes to just look at the Bible passage and think about it, and ask them questions, even ask the kids to lead sometimes, and engage in the scripture, and let them learn. Uh, I remember our kids, you know, growing up. I mean, they, by the time they turn 18, they've probably gone through all the books of the Bible, because we've been doing regular 
devotion, family devotion, when they were actually three or four, you know, they participate. And if they cannot read the Bible, we would, we would let them come with a kid's Bible, with photos. And, uh, and Caleb is here, and Caleb will come into the, and then, and then they will do picture read. They say, okay, this is Noah, this is the ark. So what is Noah doing? Well, today Noah is, you know, getting the animals into the ark and that. So why is it important that the animals should get into the ark? Oh, because God is angry with his people, he's going to destroy, and he wants to say no, and, and, and on and on. So there are so many levels at which kids can participate in devotion without having to deal with the hard and difficult concepts. And by that, over time, we are able to build a solid foundation biblically for them, and they are able to expose you know, the biblical worldview. Now, with that, when we... Uh, uh, engaging them with these issues, they have a solid foundation with which to contribute to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And secondly, parents can engage their children, whatever their age, with questions instead of telling them. And you do so uh, through everyday activities. When you are cooking, when you are going for a game, when you are going for a movie, or you watch a movie, and then you say, so what do you think about this aspect of the movie? And use that opportunity to discuss some of these hot-button issues and to help them reflect on sexuality. Um, any opportunity you get about their friends, what is happening with their friends, or who are their friends, what are the difficulties they are having with their relationships, uh, who do they want to hang out with, and why, and all kinds of things. So engaging kids with questions uh, while you're driving in a car, going to a particular program, have conversations <laughs> and engage them. And I think with that, we are able to teach and, you know, uh, help our kids learn so much uh, than what we would do in a seminar or in a workshop or even in a church service. And over time, our kids will be able to prepare their kids to, uh, their children, parents will be able to prepare their children to engage in these conversations meaningfully. Yeah. No, it's good. I hope you guys hear the, the gospel-saturated mindset that, that Emmanuel talks about when he talks about parenting and even relationships. And so we talk about over and over here at City Awakening. It's not just when we have a code, you know, a prayer is our first response, not our second. So it's really about not just having a reaction, have, having to react mm-hmm. and say, oh, no, now we've got to go and talk to our kids about these things, yeah. right? Then it's almost too late. Yes. You know I mean? Like, don't, it, it's not too late. It's never too late, right? We can still have those conversations. But it's about getting out ahead of the game and laying the foundation and making those conversations a natural part of your family culture, uh, which I think, like you're saying, at the dinner table, on the go, in the car, wherever it is. And so they're not just, okay, everybody, let's come together once a month for a family, you know, in-depth Bible study. But it's more going along the way, I think, is key. And so then when they come with those questions, you can say, remember when we talked about last night or last week in Mark and Jesus said such and such? Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, you, it's, you have those milestones to point back to, you know, I think is, is key. And, and I like exactly what yes. you said the other time when you were preaching actually here. And you said, I mean, we've got about 18 years to pack their bags. <laughs> I yeah, like that yeah. illustration, yeah. <laughs> that we've got 18 years to pack their bags, and, uh, and we want to put in all the stuff that they need yeah. uh, for the world out there. We want to give them all the tools, give them all the, mm-hmm. you know, the skill sets, everything that they need, so that when you go out there, uh, they are prepared to engage. Right. And even before they get out there, they are grounded enough to be able to engage these issues yeah. Yeah, that's confidently. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And those 18 years go by that- fast. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just gonna say, just like, in, I mean, we try to do this a lot too, even with the movies that we watch, because I think a lot of times people make an assumption, oh, it's a Disney movie, so this is good, or whatever, it's acceptable, or whatever it is, and um, drives my wife nuts sometimes, because I'll pause the movie right in the middle of me. Okay, listen, we're gonna have this conversation. She's like, hey, can we just finish the movie first, and then we can talk <laughs> about it later, okay? But like, I think just paying attention to those things, because uh, it's all teaching something. It is all teaching a worldview, and so these are everyday opportunities that. We we have not just through the movies, but also through the music, even through the commercials as we watch Sunday football that's coming up, okay? Uh, you know, the, some of those things are opportunities for us to interact and have these kind of gospel-centered conversations. I love that everyday uh, mindset, yeah. yeah. No, that's good. So speaking about conversations, uh, Kristen, you know, last week we kind of dove into the religious liberties and touched on cancel culture kind of ideas and some of the things we're facing as Christians in our country today. Um, which uh, we tend to react in one of two ways sometimes. Maybe we feel that pressure as Christians in the faith that we carry, and so we tend to shut down and want to kind of hide our faith um, and not really let anybody know what we believe so we're not at danger of, like, having to be in confrontation. Or we get defensive and want to lash out or, you know, want to... try and argue against, you know, what the other person believes and prove our point. So uh, this, these are kind of out of order now, but, um, uh, you know, Christian, how can Christians, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, I threw you off. Uh, how can Christians engage in respectful dialogue over political conversations, um, these types of issues with others that they may disagree with? Yeah, I think it, it is tempting to kind of swing to one extreme or the other. Um, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm more of a lover than a truth sayer sometimes, and I would just rather just sit in my comfortable corner and not participate. But um, I think the goal is ultimately to understand God's redeemable nature. I mean, everything this side of heaven can be redeemed, um, and I think even discourse can be redeemed. And um, I think it's tempting as Christians to think like, well, you know, I, I can't say anything because I'll get pushed back or, or I should say something because it's not right to not say something. But I think the ultimate goal is not necessarily should we speak, should we not speak. I think it's more so what are we speaking about when we do choose to speak. Um, and God is not against us sharing ideas or having civil conversations with each other. I mean, that's often how the gospel is shared to begin with, um, is by engaging in dialogue. And I just I think about um, Acts 17. It's it's a chapter where Paul. Um, is in Athens, and Athens is notorious and was during that time to have intellects, Stoics, all sorts of people, and that's what they would do. They would just sit and they would talk about cultural things, um, ideas, and, and he got right in there with them, and he talked with them, and he even pulled out redeemable parts of their conversation. Um, he noticed that there was a tomb that were an altar to an unknown God, and instead of being like, that's ridiculous, like God is known, let me tell you about him, he said, I, I can see that you guys worship, that you guys have um, worship in your lives. So picking out redeemable things in conversations, I think, is always wise. Um, and ultimately, like um, Pastor Lewis said at the very beginning, he quoted First Peter 3.15, and the beginning of that verse is so great, like giving a defense, but with respect. But I also just really like the end of that verse, which um, basically says to do so um, in, a, in a way that is allowing for us to be like above reproach. Um, so redeeming discourse is making sure that we are godly in the process, or at least trying to do what God would want us to do. Um, and ultimately, like, the goal for us, the side of heaven, is to make Christ 
attractive um, and to make sure that people know that that's, that's the most important thing to us. So sometimes when I'm feeling disturbed by what's being talked about or presented, I often ask my heart, um, okay, what's really, what's really the problem here? Um, the problem, yeah, might be that our culture is, is you know, pushing these things on us that are not biblical. But the real problem is, is that the people behind these agendas don't know Jesus and they don't have the redeemable factor in their life. So I think we need to, we need to pause if we're starting to take it personally or be prideful and we need to kind of reorient and be like, well, you know, at the end of the day, I don't need to be right. I don't need to be heard. I just need to make sure that this person is experiencing a redeemable situation in this conversation. Yeah. That's good. So, you know, Emmanuel, kind of along with that, we talk about um, cancel culture and what we experience with that in, in today's society. Just um, if somebody doesn't agree, they just shut them down, maybe even call them out. And just we've even seen people's lives ruined, you know, as a result uh, of something they said 10, 20 years ago, you know. Uh, so what would you say is a gospel alternative uh, to that modern cancel culture? I think we would need to be open to people. I mean, Lewis mentioned that how Jesus uh, actually dealt with the people. Um, he hung out with corrupt tax collectors <laughs> and, uh, you know, hypocritical religious leaders uh, with oppressive politicians. <laughs> uh, he hung out with all these people, but he didn't condone their activities. And Jesus was able to open up an opportunity and room to dialogue with these people. And I think the gospel response to a situation like this is are we willing to listen and to be involved in a dialogue like Jesus did? And like, um, you know, Christian just mentioned about Apostle Paul, he was willing to listen to the philosophers in Athens mm -hmm. and he was willing to dialogue with them. Mm -hmm. And with regards, uh, in doing so, he was able to find points where he could actually connect the gospel and communicate the gospel. Uh, to them. And then, so I think for believers, we should be open to dialogue uh, with people who uh, may be taking these strong positions and not open to the extent that we accept what they say and we follow through with that, but open for an opportunity to actually engage them and, and shine the light of Christ mm -hmm. and demonstrate the love of God because love is the most powerful Especially the love of God is the most powerful force mm -hmm. uh, anyone can unleash uh, in a situation. And, and if we demonstrate the love of God, nothing can withstand that. Mm -hmm. uh, because scripture tells us love can cover a multitude of sin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if we allow God's love to flow through us, um, we can bring true transformation into our communities. Um, you know, in, uh, you know. Uh, Philippians, when he talks about, uh, Apostle Paul talks about, do not let any, um, Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk mm -hmm. come out of your mouth, but only that which is able to build others up mm -hmm. according to their needs. And so, if we allow words that will build others up according to their needs, and we encourage them, and we engage them, then we'll be able to truly uh, bring transformation in society. Yeah. We'll be the true salt and light in our communities. Yeah. That's good. All right, last question then, uh, Lewis. So kind of, again, I set you up the last week. Uh, uh, again, like, is there a time to draw the line, right? So, um, you know, we don't want to cancel. We, we want to be open to listen. Is there a time to draw a harder line? Uh, so as Christians, how should we think about things like boycotting or protesting? Is there a time for us to ever join in those activities? 
Yeah, so when it comes to drawing the line, um, I, you know, I always have to draw the line when it comes to something that's going to be against biblical convictions. So uh, if I have to choose between my God and, uh, you know, speaking truth and, and like love, um, it's both. I want to um, hold on to truth and speak truth but do so in love. And so, but I, I can't sacrifice one or the other. You know, I mean, you know, I, I can, uh, I've mentioned this years ago, Kristen actually um, uh, was at a church I was at during that time. She remember said, I can love somebody right into eternal hell. And that does not help them. And so I have to speak truth and love. It's gotta be both. Uh, and so um, I gotta draw the line when it, when it bucks against that. Uh, when it comes to, uh, boy, and, and actually, let me say one more thing. I got to be careful because I'm, I'm, I'm a preacher, so I can keep going. I know Zach, I, know Zach I can feel his eyes on me right now saying, Time's hey, man, up. we got right. time, okay? We got time. <laughs> Stick with the question. Uh, Christians have to be careful of trying to win an argument over trying to win the heart of a person. It's, apologetics is not about winning an argument. It's about trying to win the heart of the person. And so we need to be able to speak truth and do so in love with the desire to win the heart of the person for Christ. And so I think we need to keep that in balance. When it comes to the boycotting and protesting, uh, I'm always very, very hesitant to join any kind of protest or boycott uh, that isn't gospel-centered and, uh, and based on biblical understandings and convictions. And I think m- a lot of the, the protests and boycotts that we see taking place today have um, hidden agendas that are attached to them that are not gospel-centered and are not biblically um, uh, in line with biblical understanding. Um, I think the bigger concern that I have right now for our generation of Christians, uh, especially in Western American Christianity, uh, my bigger concern concern is with how easily we become duped into following the social media herd or following, uh, you know, a boycott or protest because it has a catchy hashtag that sounds good, but underneath it is a hidden agenda that is anti-gospel. I'm concerned with how uh, you know, easily we, we get duped into following that social media herd. I'm concerned with the intellectual and theological laziness of Christians uh, in Western American Christianity today. Uh, I think I'm also um, concerned with, you know, how we, we can easily be tossed to and fro back and forth by um, cultural ideological waves instead of really pursuing maturity in Christ, growing in the maturity of Christ as the Apostle Paul teaches in Ephesians 4.4. 14, where he says that then you won't be like children anymore. You know, when, when we are uh, pursuing Christ, growing in maturity of Christ, then you will not be like children anymore, being tossed to and fro by the ways, being blown around uh, by the wind of every teaching uh, that exists. And so I, I really want to encourage um, Christians, and I mean, this is the flock that God has entrusted us with, so I really want to encourage you and those of you watching online um, to to, uh, you know, do your research and your homework before you're quick to join any kind of boycott or movement. I really want to encourage us to think critically, biblically, and theologically, and stay away from boycotts and movements that do not have a gospel-centered alignment with it. Uh, I'm always very hesitant to join any movement for that. So, yeah. No, that's good. I'll stop now. Don't get mad. Okay. No, no, that's so. not uh, no, I think all these issues can be very emotional, and we can jump on that emotional wave easily, and sometimes maybe rightfully so, you know, because we've been experienced a hurt or 
um, someone we know has been or something like that, but we have to be able to balance that, like you're saying, with critical and biblical thinking, which has been the goal of this entire series, remember, is we want to be able to equip us <laughs> as a church to approach these issues with biblical wisdom and a biblical worldview while being able to carry out, um, you know, God's love with, with grace and compassion uh, to the people that we interact with. And so hopefully you've been encouraged and challenged. I know we've had some difficult conversations. We've had tough conversations as a staff. Our small groups, you know, I know my small group has had some difficult conversation from week to week. Um, and it's been uncomfortable at times, but it's been good. Because we walk away knowing that, hey, at the end of the day, we love each other. We may not see things exactly on the same page, but we have the same goal in mind. And that is to grow as Christians and to share the love of Christ, to to preach the gospel with our lives. Uh, And so hopefully we'll continue to do that. And this has equipped us as a church to even be more open to doing that in the future as these issues and others, because there will be more, uh, come down the line. And we have to deal with those um, in the world that we're living in. It's not going to get easier. Um, Bible's pretty clear about that, and so we have to continue just to um, encourage and hold each other up, strengthen one another, and so I hope that you'll continue to come even after this series uh, so that we may not be talking about a tough cultural topic, but it'll still be relevant because uh, even to the point Emmanuel made, if we know God's word, if it's hidden in our hearts, then we'll be prepared and equipped to face whatever challenges come down the line. Uh, So Kristen, will you pray for us as we close out our time today? Um, Father, we thank you so much for your grace in all of this. Um, You are patient with us. You know that we are imperfect in how we navigate these things. Um, There's certainly going to be times when we um, maybe say the wrong thing or choose to not participate in something that we should. Um, Father, we just ask that you would give us guidance and wisdom. Your word says when we ask for wisdom, you are faithful to give it to us. So we pray for pure wisdom, just for the ability to um, see those that are around us that do not know you, to have compassion um, in all that we do, that we would know that you are um, wanting the hearts of all people to know you and that we were saved by your grace. We were saved by the patience of others um, investing in us. And I just pray that we would have um, wisdom in our conversations and know that it points to you and your glory, God. Um, We are so grateful to take part in all of this and um, just to be your children. And we thank you so much, God, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.